If you're here at the Ark for any length of time, we have what we call three goals for you as a, as a believer, as an individual. Obviously, one, if you don't know the Lord, have been away from the Lord, we'd love to see you come back to Him. But then not only come back to the Lord, but to learn to live for God, to grow stronger and then make a difference. And the living for God part is something where we're, we're serious about this. We, we want to learn how to live for God, but I think the question is, how do you do that? You know, this, is, this living for God is not just a nice saying that you put up on your refrigerator. This is not live, laugh, and love. This is, this is something a little more powerful than that. And so this morning I want to talk about, we've been doing a series called Making Progress. And this morning I want to talk about making progress and growing, growing closer in our relationship with God. Glow, growing closer to God. And you know, if you think this is such a daunting thing that you can't do it, I, I really believe after the end of this message, you're going to understand it is totally possible. That no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, wherever you are, you can get closer. But closer in our relationship with God is something, we have a desire to be closer in our relationships, period. Well, just think about it. That people get closer in relationships and sometimes there are other factors that enter in. For example, you ever notice that during a tragedy, people get closer? that you watch the communities as they pull together, maybe after a disaster or a flood or a hurricane, and you see people pulling together, and even in a tragedy, people can get closer. People can get closer if there's a common cause. And by common cause, I mean, you, you see people, I think those of you who've been in the military will tell you that they don't just simply fight for our nation, they fight for the person sitting beside them. And so it becomes a, a common cause, people who have a common cause on a team. Or, and this is one of the reasons we encourage people to get involved with one of our teams here. Uh, Matt was telling me the other day that some of the very best friends he has are people that work with him in, um, in mission outreach and making a difference in MCM and building these playgrounds. So it's a common cause. So there's a closeness that can come from a common cause and having a, a commonality. There's also a, a closeness that can come in a relationship when you are intentional about doing something. I encourage all the, the folks who are attending marriage classes and pre-marriage classes, what you're learning to do is learning to do things intentionally to make a difference in your, in your marriage. But you can do things to come closer. There was a mother who uh, grew up and she was pretty poor and she had three boys and, and they were all poor growing up, but every one of them became extremely successful. And as they got together at Thanksgiving, they were talking about what they did for mama and kind of bragging about it. And the youngest one said, well, you know, I, I just bought mama a, a, a Bentley convertible. Said, bought it in her favorite color, had custom interior. Everything in there was beautiful. Cost a half a million dollars, but nothing's too good for mama. The middle boy said, well, that's nothing. He said, I bought mama a home on the lake. Said, it's about 8,000 square feet. It's got a boat dock. It's, it's got an infinity pool. It, it's just got a guest house. It is absolutely beautiful. Cost me over $4 million, but nothing's too good for mama. The oldest one said, you guys don't know anything. He said, I got mama something she really liked. He said, I found in England, there's a monastery that taught a parrot to quote the entire Bible in the King James English and in NIV. All you do too is give him the chapter or give him the verse and this parrot can quote it. I got it from mama, cost me $5 million and I still owe them another $5 million to help them build a new monastery wing, but nothing's too good for mama. 
Christmas, the mom got together with and she lined all the boys up. She looked at the youngest when she said, darling, she said, I appreciate that car, but I'm embarrassed to drive it. She said, I just, I'd rather have my old truck. So I gave it to a family in the church that didn't have a car. She looked at her older son. She said, honey, she said, that home on the lake is beautiful, but it's way too big. You know how I like to clean myself. So I moved back in my old condo and I gave it to a homeless family that needed a place to live. Then she looked at her oldest. She said, now, you always know what mama likes. She said, that chicken was delicious. <laughs> there are things you can do intentionally to get closer. Some of them will, will backfire. I remember during the time when Joy and I, when we were raising the kids, that we, we found a place to be intentional with our, uh, with our relationship with one another. And so every Friday I would leave the office here and I would meet her and I think we met, I don't even know if it's still, Barnes and Noble, I guess, and they had a coffee shop and we would just sit and have coffee. And that was, that was an intentional thing that we did. And, and you, you, you have to do that because life gets busy. And so you have to make time for that. So we made time for that. And then we would go home and it was pizza night and movie night with the kids. Again, doing things intentionally to bring relationships closer. But how about our relationship with God? How about, what do we do there? I mean, you, you think, well, I, you know, how can I get closer to God? I guess that's up to him. Actually, it's, it's not up to him. It's, it's really more on us. You say, well, why should it be on us? Why should we have to make the first move? Well, actually, we didn't make the first move. It was God who made the first move by sending his son to die for our sins. And when he sent Jesus to die for our sins and raised him from the dead, that we might have a relationship with God, it's God who made the first move. So this is why James spoke when he was writing to the church and he said this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's a New Living Translation. I, I, I kind of like that. But it said, come close to God and God will come close to you. So in other words, we're the ones that have the opportunity to come close to God. Now we're, we're going to talk about that this morning. So you're thinking, how in the world do I do that? I can't see God. I can't feel him. There's some ways we can do it. But it's up to us to make that initial move. We're the ones that come close to him. We're the ones that initiate that. And you think, well, I don't know if I, you might be thinking, I don't know if I want to come close to God. Oh, yeah. You, you want to be closer to God. Think about it. You come closer to God and you're closer to peace. You're closer to strength. You're closer to joy. You're closer to answers. Coming closer to God is where we want to be coming closer to him. I've never met anyone who said, you know, Alan, the last couple of years I've been closer to God and it's been the worst thing in my entire life. You have never heard anybody say that because coming closer to him. But we need to get this idea that coming closer to him is good. And if your idea of God is that he's mean or that he's looking to punish you or he's looking to hurt you, you won't want to come close. There was a, there was a, a commercial a number of years ago. I don't think it shows anymore. It was, a, it was a, to me, it was a fascinating commercial. It was about a young man who was from another country. He's living in America. He's from a culture where they do arranged marriages. Are you familiar with that term, arranged marriages? Do you know in some cultures, you don't get to pick your spouse. Your parents pick your spouse. And then you don't forget the dating. You don't date. You just, it's an arranged marriage. There may be some benefit. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. But the, it's an arranged marriage. But he was not happy about it. And you saw him standing in the airport and he's holding some flowers and he just looks forlorn. He hadn't seen this lady yet. He hadn't seen the one he's gonna be married. So he's standing there just like he is. You can tell he's bummed out. And then he sees her. She comes walking through the airport 
and she's like a drop dead gorgeous model. And all of a sudden, this boy perks up. He, he's like, hey, you, you see him smiling. And all of a sudden, an arranged marriage seems like the best thing going for him because he saw how good she looked. And he thinks being married to her is going to be a good deal. Now, that, I won't even go into why that may or may not work. But here's what I will say. When you see how good God is, when you see how gracious he is, when you begin to get a glimpse of his beauty and his strength and his joy and what he will do with your life, you want to come closer to him because being closer to him is what it works. So if you're thinking, I don't want to be close to God. No, when you see him, you're like, nah, he's where I want to be. We've been looking at a guy for the last couple of weeks and we're going to wrap it up with him, a guy named Naaman. He said, well, why are you spending so much time on Naaman? I think he's one of the most fascinating short pictures that we have of a character in the Bible. And he's one that Jesus mentions and he's one that got results. And so we've been talking about making progress. Naaman was a guy who, he was a general of Syria. He was a leper. He, he had these, and he heard, he heard from a little slave girl in his household that God could heal him. He heard that there was a prophet in, in Samaria named Elisha and that Elisha could actually heal him. He never heard that before. So he gets a bunch of money together. He makes the long trip. He's got his whole, his, man, he brought his whole caravan with him and he goes to see Elisha and Elisha doesn't even come out. Elisha, Elisha sends an a, a intern out to talk to him and tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and that kind of ticks him off, but he makes an adjustment. So if, if you need the background of that, we've got all those, you can download those, they're free. But now he comes out and, and he gets healed but what he does next, the Bible lists and gives us a picture of what happens next. And what happens next is one of the best examples of how to come closer to God. You don't typically see that. A lot of times when people would get healed in the Bible, you might see them rejoicing or being happy. This gives us a detailed picture of what he did. So let's read his story here. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. And they stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives whom, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this and this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the God Rimon to worship there and leans on my arm, May the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. Man, I love this guy. You got to appreciate this guy. He's a general. He's a powerful man. He's a successful man. But what we see in him is that he had intentionally returned to give gratitude and to show honor. Well, that's, listen, he could have, he could have gotten healed, looked up and went, praise God, I'm healed. This is wonderful. I'm healed. I still got all the money I came with. Let's hook them. We're going home, man. Let's, let's, let's go. He could have left and went home. He, it, evidently, it sounds like he backtracked. 
And he took all of his aides and they went and they, they came and stood before the prophet. Now, here's, here's a general. He got down out of his chariot. He's standing before the prophet. This is, a, this is a sign of humility. And here he is, he's standing before the prophet. And, and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I know right now. He said, there is no other God in all the world. Here is where the true God is. Israel has the true God. He went from not even knowing that God hardly existed to now recognizing that God is the true God. And as he looked at his healed body, he realized, man, this God is the true God. And then he wanted to do something else. He actually wanted to give. He said to Elisha, would you take a gift? Now he brought a lot of, one translation said he brought 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothing, 10, 10 brand new suits. He brought some stuff. And he's looking at Elisha going, let, let, me, let me give you some stuff. Let me give you this gift. What's he trying to do? He's not trying, you say, he's trying to pay for his healing. He's already healed. He's not trying to pay for his healing. He's showing gratitude and honor for what God had done for him. And he wanted to give to Elisha and Elisha wouldn't take it. Now, for those of you who think that preachers don't take offerings right there is your, is your, is your, is your thing. Say, well, is that you? No, try me. Try me. Just try to... But anyway, he, he, he wouldn't take it, but he wanted to give it. And I think that's, that's important. He came back to show honor. He came back to give honor to God. But then he also, you see him in the future, he wants to build a place for God. Why is he asking for two mule loads full of earth? So he's going to, they're going to dig up some ground, going to put it in some sacks, going to put it on the mules. He's going to take it back. And what, what happens next is he gives us a hint. He said, because no longer am I going to offer sacrifices to any other God, but the one true God. So what he was going to do with that earth is he was going to take it back and he was going to build a memorial, an altar place where he could offer sacrifices to God. He recognized God is the one that's true. God is the one that's real. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I want to build God into my life. He said, I, and I'm going to bring this earth back. This is the, the earth from Israel. He would build a memorial. Memorials, again, would help him honor God. And memorials would help him remember God. Remember what God had done. You know, it's interesting. We just watched a baptism. Do you realize one of the things? Listen, baptism is not what saves us. Baptism is a memorial in our life that we were buried with Jesus in baptism. We were risen with him to a newness of life. And what it does is it marks a place in our life where we recognize I have confessed and made Jesus my Lord. It's a memorial. We don't have too many memorials that we have in the New Testament, but baptism is one of the best ones. And if you've never been baptized, you have next week on Wednesday or next Sunday, we will do it. You say, well, I got baptized when I was a kid. We will dunk you twice. It is not a problem <laughs> because we recognize the value. It's a memorial. But then also you see one more thing. You see with Naaman, remember Naaman didn't know God and all of a sudden Naaman's in a place where he wants to honor God, he wants to give to God, he wants to, he wants to remember God, he wants to keep God in his life and he also wants to make sure that he stays right with God. Because Naaman served a Syrian king who didn't serve God. He served this guy named Ryman. It was a heathen, a, a heathen uh, idol. And, uh, he's, <laughs> and so you, you could see Naaman going, now listen, I, you know what, when I, when I go with the king and he goes into the temple and I got to go with him and he bows and I have to bow. He said, basically he's saying, I, 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 we need to be cool here. 
I need, I need, I don't want God thinking I forgot him. I don't want God thinking, can you see where you're saying this? He doesn't want to displease God. He recognized God's the one that healed him. God's the one that was merciful to him. He does not want to get on the wrong side of God. And Elisha basically looks at him and goes, you're cool. Go in peace. And he's like, he had to go, good. But you see his heart. And that's the key. The heart that says, I'm going to come closer. The heart that says, I, I want to make progress in coming closer to God. There's some ways we can do it. So let's look at, let's look at we're, going, we're going to learn from Naaman. We're going to find out what. So here's the, here's the first one right here. Be intentional giving honor to God. Be intentional. What you did today, what you, you came today, that's good. That honors God. You honor God with your time. It's good to, to acknowledge God. I just tell them this, God, you're the only God. There is no God like you. There is no God above you. There's no God close to you. You are the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's good to acknowledge God and it's good to give gratitude to God for what he's done. It's always appropriate. If you say, well, I don't need to know what to say to the Lord. How about thanks? Thanks always works. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've done in my life. How many of you, if you've honestly had to stop and think about it, could say, you know what? If it wasn't for the Lord, I don't know if I'd be here today. If it wasn't for the Lord, I don't know if I would make it. If it wasn't for the Lord, I don't know if my marriage would be intact. If it wasn't for the Lord, I don't even know if I would be alive. God's been good to me. And if he's been good to you, then it's good to say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate all that you've done. Amen. And so that is one of the ways that we show gratitude and honor. But here's, here's another one. We show honor to God with our giving. With our giving. Now in the church here in the ark, I don't, I think I have probably done you a disservice that I haven't talked about giving enough. When we started the church in the 90s, there was just a lot of things going on and people were all up in arms about giving and people in, in prosperity, yada, yada. And when people come into a large church, immediately everyone thinks oh, it's all about the money. And I think there's been a part of me that shies away from, from, from wanting to make it about the money. It's not about the money. We don't care what your background is. We don't care how wealthy you are or how poor you are. You're always welcome here. But here's the thing. I think I've probably done you a disservice because giving is not giving so you can get. Giving is so you can honor God. Amen. In Proverbs, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with with new wine. Look at that first one. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with your increase. It always gets quiet when you talk about money. You want to, get, you want to bring great calm into, into an auditorium. Just talk about money or kids. But when you start talking about money, people get quiet. But listen, listen, it's the heart to honor God. This is what makes a difference. So, well, I'm not giving to get. Oh, okay. But give to honor. And God's the one who says, then your barns will be filled with plenty. There's a promise on the backside of that. You honor God, he'll honor you. A number of years ago, Joy and I went to, many of you know our story, went to start a church in our hometown. In my hometown, it didn't work, and we shut it down. I went to work for my dad. He really couldn't afford me, but you know, he paid me some, and we were really scraping by. We, we were, our kids qualified for state-supported lunch. It was a tough time. And I remember that Joy and I really struggled with that. And in fact, Joy said she would skip lunch sometime just so that the kids could have lunch. Matt and I ate the same lunch every day. He was five. I was not. 
And so it was, you get in the picture here? These are, these are lean times. People say, well, poverty was a blessing. Well, you've never been poor because poverty is not a blessing. And we were, man, we were just having just a hard time making ends meet. And, and Joy had a relative we didn't even know about. And we got a check one day for $5,000. Now, when you don't have any money, and it's 1989, I mean, $5,000, that's, that's lottery money for us. And we're like, glory to God. I, I had, I'm, I'm starting to spend it already. I know you've never done that, but it's, it's spent, it's gone. And I'm, I'm, I'm up one night, everybody's in bed and I'm praying. And our television had, had broken down. We didn't have the money to even buy another television. And so my prayer life really enhanced. And um, we're up praying and I just felt the strongest impression, didn't hear a voice, felt the strongest impression, uh, send 2,500 to this missionary couple we knew in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe was really dealing with some problems. Send 2,500, uh, 25, that's half of what came in. And I, I, I'm rebuking Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That is the, that is the devil. And, it, and then, but I went back to praying about it. Man, it came up in me again. So I, I did what any good Christian man would do. I said, Lord, that's you. You need to tell my wife. <laughs> I chickened out big time. I, I, next morning, I was talking to Joe. I said, Joe, I said, the Lord impressed me that we need to give some of that 5,000. Now for Joy, she saw that money as escape from North Carolina money. She was thinking, this is our money to get out of town. This, we need this. And I said, the Lord impressed me to give some of it. She said, how much? I said, I'm not going to tell you. You pray about it. <laughs> she, she came back a couple days later. She said, half? I said, oh. <laughs> that was the Lord. This is, this is not, we're not honoring yet, right? So this is, this is not honoring. And so we got an agreement. We said, we're going we're to send 2,500. But I remember, I'll never forget, when we wrote the check and I went and put it in the mailbox, I'll never forget. It's like I could sense the presence of God and the pleasure of God because I was, not that this 2,500 was going to change their life, but it was honoring to him. In your giving, it's your opportunity to say, God, you have done so much for me. Thank you. We gave it. Put it, dropped it in right on, on December 31st. And in 1990, doors began to open for us to move back to Texas. We're so glad. And so we came back to Texas and then doors opened up that, that we had a job. And then doors opened up. We'd have been renting homes and we actually had a chance to buy our own home. And then doors opened up in my business and God bless my business. I set a record that stood for years there in sales. You're saying, well, well Alan, did, did you give so that that would happen? No, I gave to honor God. But if you will honor God, he's the one that fills your barns. He's the one that causes plenty to come. He's the one that does that. So it was, it was our best financial year ever. Here's the second thing. Honor him. Second thing is this, build, be intentional about making a bigger place for God. If you want to get closer to God, that's not something that's just going to automatically happen. So here, a lot of times what we have to do is reallocate or replace things that are taking up too much of our time. We're busy people and we're, uh, there's a lot of busyness going on. And I want to encourage you, if you really want to get close to God, some of the busyness is going to have to stop. And because it's the busyness and the distraction that begins to push God out. 
In Psalms, the, the psalmist said this, and I love the first part. He said, be still and know that I'm God. So if you, want to, if you want to do something, if you want to make a real difference, just listen, you say, well, I don't spend any time with God. Well, carve some time out. But when you do, leave your phone in another room. Just so you're not, I'm gonna tell you something, all of us have devices. I have, I have gotten in the car, driven down the road and turned around and gone back just so I could have my phone. So I understand what I'm talking about. But when it's time for me to give time to God, I don't need my phone dinging me about some sale that they're having and I, I don't need it. And so be still and know that I'm God. What am I doing? I'm making a bigger place for God in my life. There's a Marines major who works with all the fallen, fallen Marines. He works with the families. He works with the honor guards. And he said something very powerful. He said when, the, when a Marine uh, honor guard is standing near the fallen comrade's body, their, their salutes are very slow. Three seconds up, three seconds hold, and three seconds down. He said it's nine times longer than a regular salute. He said, but to honor our fallen comrades, he said, some things don't need to be fast. Listen, to honor God, we need to slow some things down and say, God, you're worthy of more honor. You're worthy of some of my undivided time. I'm building a place for you. The, second, the last thing is this, live with God in mind. Live with God in mind. In other words, we're living and treating him like he's real because he is. We're treating him like he's important because he is. And we're treating him like he's the one that we're aiming to please. Paul wrote in, to the, uh, the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. We make it our aim. We make it our goal. We make it our ambition. We make it our, our focus that we want to be pleasing to God. Ken Elzinga, at 26 years old, was given a, a, a faculty position at the University of Virginia, a very prestigious East Coast University. One of his uh, colleagues told him that if, he said, Ken, if you want to be a tenured, he said, you better not be so explicit in your faith. You better not in your expressions of your faith. And so Ken really wanted to be tenured. He was horrified when right after this conversation, he was going through the campus and he saw his face on a poster in a very prominent place because he was going to be speaking in a campus ministry. They invited him to come and he agreed to do it. So now Ken's worried. He's like, what are my colleagues going to think of me? Is this going to hurt my chance to be tenured? And so he said he had a, a long, dark night of the soul and he wrestled with it. He actually got up in the night and went and took the poster down. But the next morning he went and put it back up because he said this. He said, I'm not as much about career ambition as I am being a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus. He said, my, my faith is not something I'm going to keep private. Four decades later, Ken Elzinga has been voted the best professor on campus multiple times. He's still one of their top speakers on campus, still invited to go. Ken's the very first one to tell you this. He said, he said, serving a master of one has been liberating. Ask him, why is it liberating? He said, because when you're living to please an audience of one, it makes you less anxious. It makes you less uh, sensitive to criticism. 
makes you more courageous. Living to please one. Living with God in mind. Coming closer to him. That word, make it our aim, that word actually is, you could use, make it our honor. I thought about that. You could say, it's my honor to serve God. It's my honor to please God. It's my honor to give to God. It's my honor to carve out some time in my busy life because he's worthy of my time. It's my honor to please him. I was thinking about my honor and immediately Chick-fil-A came to mind. Because as soon as you say anything to Chick-fil-A, what do they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. They say it all the time. My pleasure. I thought, you know what? That needs to be our, our word as, as a believer. Lord, it's my honor. My honor to serve you. My honor to give to you. My honor to please you. My honor to spend time with you. My honor to come closer to you. He said, well, God hasn't done anything to me. Let me tell you something. He cleaned Naaman of leprosy. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we stand before him clean. Coming closer to God. Is it worth it? Absolutely. And I promise you we'll never regret for a moment in heaven what we do on earth to come closer to him. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you came today, you're watching online. And you say, you know what, Alan, I, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you're like I was. I had a relationship with the Lord and I got away from him and I recognized I wanted to come back. This morning as we're talking about coming closer to God, the first step is always to receive Jesus as your Lord. The second step is if you've been away from him to come back. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around, but we're going to say a prayer. If that's you that I'm talking to, I can't see you obviously online, but if that's you here that I'm talking to and you're saying, Alan, that's me, would you pray for me real quickly? Would you slip your hand up just across the auditorium and say, that's me. I want to come or I want to come back. Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and you thought, uh, did I miss my chance? No, this is a hard thing. We're going to pray this out loud. If you're, on, if you're online or watching online, you're by yourself, pray it with us. If you're with others, pray it quietly. If you're here in the auditorium, pray it with us as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. Head still bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you've provided for us. Thank you. Lord, it's such a privilege, such an honor to worship you, to be a part of your family. Thank you for those who've stepped out of darkness into light and for those who've come back home. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and goodness to accept them with open arms. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise. Show us how we can honor you even more the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer with us, if you're online, there's a, there's a, a code you can scan. You can actually scan it here. But right beside your feet is a card. If you're here, if you fill it out, we'll take it. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you for an entire year. We don't miss. We love you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. 
May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. We love you guys. We're praying for you. Have a great week. God bless. Mm -hmm.